step into the lion's den, where brilliant women and brilliant men have truly bold conversations. There is nothing off limits inside the den, from the boardroom to the bedroom. Every dimension of life and love is uncovered here. They talk about all the things that many of us think, but rarely say out loud. So if you're ready for some truly courageous conversation, join your host, Albion Lyons, and her co-host and cub, Jay Wilson, along with a host of special guests and expert contributors as they bring you your new favorite radio show. Come inside the Lion's Den. So we're inside of the Lion's Den for a really exciting show today. And I say that with enthusiasm, not in any way to reduce the gravity of the topic that we are going to be discussing, but the excitement I have about what's behind all of that. And that is the healing that takes place where real dialogue, real conversation, real connection is present. So we're, today's topic is how do we heal? And that's really where race and religion intersect inside of America today. So inside of the den with us, as always, are some of our favorite people ever, your hosts and our special guest today, which you guys will come to know more frequently because we've told him that he has to come on far more often. He's a friend of ours inside of the den, but I'll, I'll introduce him in just a second. Let me introduce our host first. So first we have, you know, as always, Jay Wilson, but of course she's going to introduce herself as the what? The gift. The gift. <laughs> <laughs> So the gift is here, you know, just, you know, here to bless your lives today when we have this conversation. And also the, our resident male inside of the den, say hello to the people. This is the present. This is everything. Oh this is Huck. This all the time. How you doing? <laughs> Welcome to the So show. Huck, of course, guys. Huck, of course. But... The exciting special guest and soon-to-be regular on our show is our friend, Rob. Rob, will you say hello to our audience? Hey, everybody. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're excited to have this conversation. So I will tell you guys, just so that you know, because you, I'm sure you'll enjoy this experience as much as we look forward to it. But Rob happens to be the pastor over at Next Level, which is that technically considered Yorktown, Rob? Like, so, it is. It like is Yorktown, right on the, Okay. It is, yeah, it's right on the border of Hampton, Yorktown, but it is. Yeah, because it's it's right in that spot. Okay, so it's yep. really so. Just as he said, it's like right on the edge of Yorktown and Hampton, and we have had such a wonderful time worshiping there many times before, and happens to to be one of those places that you know. Huck happens to love too. So the whole family's gotten a chance to really enjoy all of this. So we wanted to bring Rob into the conversation today as we're really talking about this healing process inside of our nation. So Rob, I'm actually going to start with you first. When you saw um, the tapes and the feed on um, the loss of George Floyd, what was the initial experience that you have with that like kind of emotionally psychologically what was like sort of the first feeling that hit you in seeing all of that uh yeah i mean right away it was not again um right. you, um it, it, it's heartbreaking and you don't want to you don't want to see it um you, I, I mean it's tough because it's so relevant and so important to our culture I feel like I can't ignore and not watch the video, but you, you just, it's just hard. It's just difficult. And so 
it, yeah, it was, it was not again. Um, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to watch this again. I don't, I, I want us to be able to move, move and, and get to a place where we're not seeing this on the, on the headlines on a regular basis. Um, so it was heartbreaking. It, it was sad. And um, yeah, those were, those were the immediate emotions. I got you. Jay, when you saw it, what was the first thing that kind of hit you? Um, the anger and maybe a little bit of the desperation. Like we are literally starving for a change. We're looking for a difference. At what point are our lives going to matter? Mm. Huck, how about you? Uh, a myriad of reasons, uh, a feeling. See, I'm reading my dictionary too, so that's a new word, myriad. <laughs> um, anger, fear, um, desperation, like Jay said, and almost just, I think, exhausted, being tired because we just mm-hmm. had Aubrey um, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks prior, then we had Brianna, and then now we have George. Um, and I think the last feeling for me was a feeling of helplessness. Um, sitting there watching. Um, I did not watch the full video um, because once you see certain things, you can't unsee them. Um, right. So just and what really pierced my heart, and I, I'm going to try to say it without crying right now, when my man called out for his mama and for me to find mm-hmm. out later that his mother passed on two years prior. Um, right. So what, 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 was, what was George feeling during that moment? How... Like how how hopeless did he feel uh, during that moment calling out me? He calls to I can't breathe, my back, my neck, all these things hurt. But then for him to call out and say I want my mama, like as a mama's boy, that that <laughs> broke that literally broke my heart. And at that moment, that's when I had to cut the tape. I had to cut it off um, because I knew how long it lasted because I, I read the actual article. Um, but once I heard that in, I was just like, nah, this, this is too much. This is too much for me. So I will say, um, that, and just, you know, just know that the questions, Rob, this is the first time I know that you're on with us, but we're allowed to like, you know, our guests are even to uh, able to post questions. So it's not one of those things where just me, you know, poses questions inside of the dialogue. If there are things that you want to ask us as a group, you're welcome to do so too, just to, you know, have the same kind of conversation we would have if we were inside of our houses or at a dinner table having this discussion. You are in a safe place. So I will say for me, um, I... The Ahmaud Aubrey um, video, I actually still have not watched from beginning to end. Still have not. Um, I there's something about that that I just couldn't. I couldn't click play and stay on it. Like I clicked play at first, but by the time the um, sort of the interaction they physically come in contact with each other starts to take place, I've never watched it through to its completion. I just something about that I just couldn't because it felt like a dog being hunted on a street, you know, like, and my father is actually a hunter, though he is an executive, well, was before he retired, um, and is totally white collar, you know, the international project manager for IBM, completely white collar, you know what my social upbringing must have been given that title, um, but he, everything we ate Thanksgiving and Christmas, he hunted for, so I, appreciate truly i'm not an anti-gun person i don't i understand being able to provide for your family i get all of that but i also understand when he would talk about 
how methodical you had to be to be able to hunt animals felt very similar to the way that I was watching that tape unfold where Ahmad was concerned. And I couldn't bring myself to reduce him to what I would listen to my father talk about in the hunting of an animal to watch a man be hunted like that. And so I just didn't, I didn't make it where that was concerned. And then when the, um, when the George Floyd case happened and that video was released, I too, like you, Huck, when I found out that his mom had been dead for two years, I actually, you know, as a believer, we believe in spiritual things. I wondered if he could see his mother, like he knew he was dying in that moment and he could already see her. I've been through with my own child, um, thank God he lived, but I've been through near-death experiences and watched my child when he was four talk to something he could see on the other side to tell that something that he didn't want to go yet. He wanted to stay with his mom. And so having been through that experience with my four-year-old seizing to, and him saying I, that he wanted to be with me, I could not help but to freeze emotionally inside of that moment to watch a grown man have almost that same experience. And so when we start processing all of that, we, we process it often through the lens of who we are and what we have been exposed to, and it shapes the math we do on it, what we come to. So then we hit the spot where we have to start talking about what it was, or we feel compelled to talk about what it was that we saw. So Rob, let me ask you, when you finally decided that you were going to say something, how did you come to that space of figuring out what to say when there are so many factors at play at the same time? And for those of you who don't judge voices and culture as, you know, as stereotype, I will be clear that Rob is, I say vanilla and chocolate. So Rob is my vanilla brother. <laughs> so like, because I think if we talk about race in terms of dessert, we would stop hating each other. I know yeah. that sounds a little too Pollyanna, but it's really hard to be like, I hate those chocolate people. It just sounds stupid, you know, yeah. like, so, or, you know, I cannot, don't another vanilla person say anything to me today. It just sounds ridiculous. So it almost like takes the power out of the polarization that exists in white and black. I personally prefer vanilla and chocolate, which is what my kids grew up hearing inside of the house. So, um, so Rob, when you had to, like I said, when you had to find words inside of this moment, how, what was that like? And how did you decide what to say? Well, it's not, the reason that it's not easy is because, um, people don't know how to, um, people don't know the goal of communication. The goal of communication is to understand, not agree. And the way that we do social media, the way that we do conversations is we look for agreement. So when we agree with something, we like it, we share it. When we disagree, we call it out. And what's difficult about situations like this is that there are lots of perspectives and I'm dealing with people that I care about greatly who are hurting in the black community. And then I'm also dealing with police officers who are hurting and I care about them greatly. And whenever I speak on either side of this, I hear from both both sides. 
Um, so I started my, my first post was I absolutely love the police officers that I know and I support them at the exact same time. What we saw with George Floyd is evil and it needs to be called out. You can have two different feelings at the exact same time. Amen. And so I tried to address that. I, I tried to address that this is not saying that I hate the police or, or that um, all police are evil, um, but this action is evil. And I tried to address that. And I, I still offended people left and right um, really? with the post. But but that was that was my goal going into it to show, um, you know, you you can have multiple you, you can have multiple feelings. Like two different feelings can exist inside of us at the exact same time. So tell me a little bit about, because take us into this a bit, because of course, we all, there's, there's a tendency to believe that our experience inside of something is the only experience that exists, yeah. right? So, because our emotions are our reality and yeah. we confuse our feelings as facts, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. we're just because I feel something doesn't make it a fact, no matter how fiercely I feel it. And yeah. we we take those feelings and we project them on to a situation or a story. And to your point about agreement, it is you're only accurate in your whatever your feedback is on the thing if it matches my feelings, because yeah. my feelings are the facts in the matter, yeah. right? Yeah. So I naturally, each of us represents something different. I am not a man, period. Neither neither chocolate nor vanilla, I'm not a man. So what, how I'm going to look at that moment is going to be different as a woman of color than perhaps a man of color would, or someone who is not of color may look at that. May, not absolutely, because we could have exactly the same thought, but we may yeah. see those things differently through that lens. And then generational differences in that and what our exposures are, and the list goes on and on. So there's so many ways in which we can see it. So I am curious, like, when you put that out there and you got this feedback, can you tell us some of the response on both sides about never using anybody's name, but just yeah. sort of the, the, the critique you got on each side as you posted that. Yeah. So, um, from, from my white friends, um, mm -hmm. from some of them, the messages that I got was, um, my posts are leading to divisiveness, um, that our, we, we need our country to come together and um, and so I need to do more to bring us together and that what they perceived my post as dividing our country even more, which all of my posts were trying to say, hey, if, if you are um, if you are my friend and you are a person of color, I as a, a privileged white person, which is the majority, the majority of America is made out of white people. So therefore, I mm -hmm. as a majority, I want you to know. I, I, I listen, I, I'm, I'm trying to hear what you're saying, and I'm crying for you. Um, that was my goal. The fact that that was received as divisive, um, it did throw me off because it was like, well, right. I'm, not, I'm not trying. I, I didn't make any political points. I didn't. Right. Um, I'm just trying to show some, some empathy. Um, you know, I, I offended uh, some police officers, and I think uh, the, the police officers, where it was coming from. So the vast majority of the time when we get offended, it comes from a wound. And what mm -hmm. makes it difficult to decipher is so much of what offends us is not actually what really offends us. Our, our pain is not really our pain. And so when it comes to the police officer friends, um, you know, they're going out and like one of my friends had bricks thrown at him. Um, mm. And it wasn't during a peaceful protest. He literally was just, you know, driving down the street and people start chucking bricks at him. And there's so much anger right now towards the police force. Another one of my police officer friends 
is having death threats put at him, and, and people are releasing him and his family's name on social media and saying, "Go get these people." Um, and this wow. is a great guy. This is a great family, you know, great Christian family, and they're they're police officers. So that stress um, and and the hurt that they were feeling, um, what they expressed was they didn't feel like I was supporting them, um, mm. and so. Um, you know, I, I, from my black friends, uh, I, I heard more. Thank you. Um, I appreciate this. Um, and so, yeah, those were, were kind of the, the messages I was getting, getting all around. Interesting. Interesting. Because they, and what an incredible pendulum those things swing. What's very interesting about that, and then I'm going to toss it over to Jay and Huck. What's very interesting about that is this inability to recognize that to the, the, the coexistence of two truths, as yeah. opposed to treating these things like they cannot occupy the same space. Because I'm always amazed by that, because there are hundreds of thousands of black police officers across the United States who understand what it's both what it's like to both be blue. Now I'm not going to say blue lives because the reason I'm not saying blue lives is because you were a thing before you became a police officer, right? right. So so I can't call it blue lives because then I would have to call doctors white lives, you know, like because they wear a white uniform in their due diligence as a physician every day. So I don't consider that a white life because of what it is they wear. But I I do and uh, and am a hundred percent in support of our law enforcement community. The I just want to be very clear about that for anybody that that could remotely be in question. For I, some of the people I love the most happen to be law enforcement agents of various level, from the you know the local police officer all the way up to the Department of Justice. I have people I love at every level who want honest, ethical fair and just protection under the law for everyone. And they got into law enforcement to ensure that they were part of the solution rather than the problem that we are trying to root out. So I so I just want to be very clear about that. But when you're black and a police officer, you're still you are you are both of those things at the same time. You don't wear your uniform every day, so you have the experience of just being a regular black man, so to speak. And you also have the experience of being hated or respected and adored because of the badge that you wear. So there are two realities that you are experiencing. And I say I should say a woman also because there are lots of black female officers as well. So forgive that. Let me make that edit. But you also understand these things on two different levels. So I don't even I can I can't even fathom. At a core level, how one cannot acknowledge that those two things can coexist and coexist in a beautiful kind of way. So, so Huck and Jay, like, what are when when you listen to what it is that Rob is saying in terms of his experience trying to do the right thing and then tiptoeing through landmines that keep exploding even when you're trying to to make the best difference you possibly can. How does that land for you guys? What are What's the feedback that you all have heard inside of your own social media, sometimes echo chambers? I'll let the gift go. Go ahead, gift. <laughs> um, right, thank you. Um, I actually find it very interesting because it's, it's polarizing. Um, you see it actually on both sides of the aisle because even within the chocolate community, um, 
when you express any uh, support for police officers or law enforcement, et cetera, you can be ostracized. Um, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether or not you have family that operates within law enforcement. It doesn't matter that they have done no wrong because, and, you know, valid point, to be quiet is to be complicit. So it's very, um, it's very interesting to see, but I find it more interesting on the vanilla side of the aisle because when you are arguing the value of a black life, or excuse me, a chocolate life. Um, no, you can say black life because that is actually okay. what's going to be on the T-shirt. So you can go ahead. Yeah. Okay. When you're arguing the value of a black life and how they should be treated equally, it is taken an offense. It is taken as an attack on white Americans, which I, I, I have a hard time understanding beyond the realm of this is racist because a lot of people don't believe that they're racist. Um, because they have a black friend or they have, you know, a, a black nanny or what have you. But th- the issue tends to be as I've, because I've actually spent the last week protesting. So I've been out, I've seen things get very crazy. I've heard ugly comments from um, either side. Um, I've been at the rallies. Things did get out of hand a couple of times and to which I removed myself because I'm not. I'm not interested in that. That's not what we came for. But um, it it was very interesting to watch because we actually attempted to have conversations with police officers at some of the rallies. Um, On Sunday night, we went and spoke with, as we were marching, we stopped, we spoke with some Virginia Beach police officers. Um, One of them, the one that we had initially been speaking to, was a black officer, and he was trying to level with one of the protesters. they were just trying to have a heart-to-heart conversation to understand, and the protesters wanted to know how he felt about what was going on. And to see him try to extend a little bit of compassion to the protesters and watch his white counterparts remove him, they literally removed him from the conversation and then escalated the situation, was very interesting to me because what is it what is the goal on the other side? So I understand, um, you know, the confusion in terms of expressing a message to just to extend empathy to um, the chocolate side of the aisle, to your black friends, and then getting resistance on the side of your white friends, your cop friends. And it's not right for them to feel like their lives are in danger or for people to be throwing bricks at them or releasing personal information. That's not necessary, especially if they've done nothing wrong. Um, But it is, it's difficult to understand when you released a message that was not political and it was not polarizing, you were just extending empathy to a group that is suffering for them to be offended by that. And they didn't feel supported because you extended empathy to a group that has systemically been oppressed. Um, What it suggests to me is that it's an us or them. It's not an interest in unity. And I think that that's part of the problem here and what we're experiencing because a lot of people are trying to make this an us or them issue and it's not. Because we're not against police, we're against the brutalizing of the citizens that you're supposed to protect. But we're we're also against the fact that you don't really consider them citizens. You don't consider them people as you consider your white counterparts. Mm. 
and that's what we're that's what we're protesting against that's what we're you know flooding social media for that's why we're making a point because we are getting to a point where we are we are beyond the point of being numb seeing people that look like us killed and it being on loop on social media i have never been so tired and exhausted and felt so heavy in my life i we have seen so many of our black brothers and sisters be killed and you're seeing it you literally watch a murder online you get on social media and people are sharing the video everywhere you see it on the news um commercials online like you see it everywhere and you still get to a point where you're like maybe there's some justice because it's on video but now they still have to investigate what do you have to investigate when when there's literally a video of the murder that that is so powerful and uh Alvin, you always ask these questions when we got like thirty seconds. <laughs> it's not fair. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a de- I'm a defer my yes, response we'll, to the other side. Yeah, we'll save we'll save your response to after we come back from the break. So you're inside of the lion's den. We're having an incredible conversation about how do we heal uh, the intersection of race and religion in America today. So join us on the other side of the break as we finish this really intense but beautiful discussion on our healing process. We'll be back on the other side of this break with real people, relevant topics, and raw honesty inside the Lion's Den. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Lion's Den as we continue this delicious conversation about the issues real men and real women want to talk about. So come with me. Let's go back inside. You're back inside the Lion's Den. We're having a very honest, raw, as you guys know, what we do, conversation on how do we heal race and religion inside of America. And we are just in this intense space inside of our nation that requires each of us to figure out how we use our own personal power to create healing. And what does that really mean? What does that look like? How do we process our feelings and what it is that we're going through? Before we left for break, Jay had just finished talking about some of the perceptions and feelings inside of her generation, people who are actively involved in the protest um, experience, and many of whom in peaceful protest, because the exception, of course, is are those that are kind of are going too far at this point. But what that generation, multicultural generation, is experiencing and their perspectives. And Huck, we were turning it over to you to hear what you thought about some of what it was that Rob had shared as he was just trying to share a post that was in support of both righteousness and simultaneously recognizing both voices in the community while we are going through this tumultuousness and yet being kind of met in both sides with, you know, some level of, you know, displeasure. What, what are your thoughts about that and how are you processing what has been happening? Um, uh, it's it's real funny. Me and Miss Huck had a similar conversation. We've been having these conversations, um, because you know we have uh, baby Huck, um, and she's eleven, and she's navigating this. And what's different for us is like this is stuff that's on mainstream. So we turn TV on, and it's up there. So now, right. naturally, we have a rule: we don't lie. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if she asks us a question and, and asks us like, "What is this?" or "What's going on?" we're going to tell her as long as we can kind of make sure it's kid friendly for her. But this, it was no way to make it kid friendly for her. 
Um, so so that that's the preference of our conversation um, that I had with Miss Huck. And my thing was, our white brothers and sisters, they darn if they do and darn if they don't. Um, mm-hmm. As an African-American mm-hmm. community, we want them to stand alongside of us. We want them to um, talk with us. We want them to use, as Rob alluded to, their privilege to help us out. But then I read a post on Facebook. At, at, disclaimer, I had to come off Facebook for a few days because it was, it was so draining. Um, I, saw yeah. a fo- I saw a post, and um, one of my um, black friends said, uh, we want white people to stop asking us what to do. Just do it. But then someone under there were like, well, they do. They say they do the wrong thing. I'm like, so what do you want them to do? Do you want them to help us or do you want them to sit there quietly? Because then you say their silence is deafening because they're not standing with us and rocking with us. So I'm right. so I'm, I'm going back and forth respectfully, you know, but I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, we want them to help us. We're crying for them to use their privilege to uh, assist us in moving, not just our cause, but... Um, Something we we just want to be heard, and they have that mm-hmm. that they have that place where they can use their influence and their privilege to do that. But when they do it, we like nah, we don't want you. You can't speak to I hurt because you don't know what it, what it's like to be black. Right, right. That that is right. an aha moment. They don't know what it means to be black because guess what? They're white. That's the reason why we're asking them to help us. But then when they help us, we don't need we don't need a handout. So that conundrum, I'm just like I'm sitting there, I'm drained. I'm like you know what? I'm off this um, because. Like, as as a community, you can't say you want something, but then when it's there, and they say, "Hey, what can I do to help?" You like, "Nah, I want your help." Like that—that mm-hmm. that is when, when Rob said that. Like, I know exactly what he meant when he he made those comments. And for me, navigating these feelings, um, I I just had a son. Um, my son is um, five months old, and, and you know, granted, you know, I can keep him shielded and protected. But one day, he's gonna be walking and talking and doing his own thing, and and I'm and I'm wondering, legitimately, not being like a drama king or none of that, will my son be the next hashtag? Will I be the next mm-hmm. hashtag? Because um, I remember a story my father told me as, as I was growing up, and I tossed it back to you, uh, Rob. I have a question. Um, I wanted a car. I wanted this Lexus ES three hundred, right? Um, it was a ni- 1997. The year was 1998. Um, my dad, I was doing great in school, athletics, all that. I said, Dad, I want that car. My dad looked at me with tears in his eyes. was like, son, you can't have that car. And I'm like, what? What you mean? We got the money. You told me I could have anything I want. This is what I don't ask for much. This is what I want. My dad uh, looked at my mother and was like, uh, he can't have this car. And we ended up getting a 1995 uh, Cutlass Sierra White old lady type car uh i i hated that car but it was great on mileage because it took me from here to carolina on one tank and i was good uh we got home i said dad why couldn't i have that car you told me i could have whatever i wanted and i, I mean respectfully because you know in, in, in our demographic you can't be disrespectful to our parents right all your teeth going down your throat um so <laughs> I, I i said you know respectfully dad why couldn't i have this car he said because you do work at night you are a professional, and a lot of times you, you come and you go, it's all hours of the night. And during that time is when they were doing the uh, racial profiling. Like, you would see African-American mm-hmm. driving a nice car. They're pulling you over and taking you out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My dad said, I cannot, in right conscience, give you this car, and then the the something like this happened to you. And what's funny is my aunt had a champagne Lincoln Continental. 
um, back in the, the late late 90s. And I was driving home for church. It was me and one of my um, one of my friends. And full disclaimer, I was going a little fast. You know, I was feeling myself. I was 16, 17. The speed limit was 45. I may have been going like 50, 55, 57, right? So I get pulled over. Um, the cop asked for my license registration, um, Caucasian cop. And he come back to the car and say, get out the car, sit me on the, on the curb, and, and literally puts me in handcuffs. And at this moment, I'm crying because I'm about to go to jail. I know I was going a little bit fast, but not nothing to go to jail for. Um, then um, another cop comes up behind that cop and um, another Caucasian. They were like, you know, he fits the description of during that time in that part of the tide water, there was some carjackings. And um, the only thing that saved me from going in, one of the uh, black cops that I grew up with my brother, God had this in this guy here. He pulled up behind the other two cars and because he, he, he recognized the, the my aunt's car and said, hey, what's the problem? He said, hey, you know, th- this is a guy that's been doing all the carjackings in this area. They were like, nah, this is this is Huck. He good. You know, let, let him go. He's straight. Had that cop not been there and was able to speak up on my behalf, you know, the charges would have been dropped anyway, but I would have had to go through a whole nother ordeal. Um, and that was just driving a car. So now you got someone like George Floyd that allegedly passed a counterfeit $20 bill to get something mm-hmm. to eat. Not, my man wasn't robbing nobody. He wasn't knocking nobody in the head. He was just trying to feed his family during this pandemic. Because remember, we have a pandemic going on, and now we have this situation coming on, going on with George Floyd, and it escalates to the point where you have another officer's knee in that back. And, um, Alvy, I know you can speak to it. Um, that's not what they teach in the, the academy. They don't teach put, you know, that kind of hold. Um, so, so many emotions, um, so much fear, um, and, and, and seeing the divide, the racial divide get becoming even larger, um, where black people are saying white people don't care and white people are saying, I want to help. And it's just like, pick what, for me, pick what you want. Do you want them to help or do you want them to be quiet? If you want them to be quiet, don't get mad when they are quiet because they're doing what you asked them to do. And don't be surprised when we're back in the situation. Because what's heartbreaking for me, uh, Rob, and I, and I toss it to you, is that this, in my opinion, may not be the last time we see something like this. Um, so, so, Rob, can you, can you speak to some of the things that you've been doing in the local community uh, to kind of help spur these efforts of like reaching across the uh, aisle and extending friendship and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I think that anything we can do to, to help um, build bridges and help bring people together, it, it, we, we need it all. We need all sorts of things where I feel though, um, change has to happen is change has to happen when we are intentional about the relationships that we have. One of the reasons why empathy doesn't exist between races, between the the vanilla and the chocolate is because they just don't know each other. And so it's hard to have empathy for someone that you, you, you don't know. So Mm -hmm. where I see conversations break down is, you know, a, a, a chocolate brother will say, um, you know, this is my experience that that, that the cops are, are profiling me. And because a vanilla brother has never had that happen, the vanilla brother responds 
not with empathy, but with correction. Well, no, you're, you're wrong about that. That's not the way America is. 99% mm-hmm. of the police officers are good people. And so then what you have is a disagreement. And whenever there's a disagreement, there's a divide. Mm. And what we need to have is, is empathy to say, okay, that's not my experience, but I care enough about you so that I'm going to have empathy. I don't have to agree with your experience. I, I have to understand where you're, where, where you're coming from. And I was explaining it like, like this. Uh, I got some messages from, from someone on, on Facebook and, um, you know, their, their big question was how do we, some of the things that they feel are coming out, they don't feel are the correct stats or the truth, truth of, of the whole narrative. And so they're wanting to call out, you know, truth and call people out. And so my response to them, uh, was a, a personal story. Um, cause I think a lot of times, you know, we can all relate to personal stories. And so, mm-hmm. um, what I see happening in our country is, is kind of like this. Um, a few months ago, my daughter was walking down our street in our neighborhood and, uh, her twin brother was on a bicycle and he was riding alongside of her and a dog, it was a little dog jumped out of one of our neighbor's trucks and ran at my daughter. And um, my kids, we don't have a dog at home. And so their their natural reaction to dogs is to be somewhat afraid. And so we've tried to train them not to be. And we always say, just stick out your hand, let the dog smell you. And so my daughter was doing what we had trained her to do. She stuck out her hand, thought the dog was just running up to smell her. Well, the dog runs up and, and grabs her tennis shoe and rips it off her foot. So my son then is like, I don't know what's going on. This is scary. He rides his bike as fast as he can to come home to get to get his parents. So my daughter is standing there in the street. There's no adults anywhere. And the dog's ripped off her shoe. And she's like, she's never experienced this before. She doesn't know what to do. And so she starts walking towards the yard, like to get her, her shoe back. And the dog comes back and bites her ankle. So at this point, then, you know, she's crying and, um, you know, thankfully she didn't need stitches. There was, it just, you know, it broke the skin a little bit, but it was a traumatic experience for her. And for weeks after this, whenever she would hear a dog bark, she would grab my arm and she would be afraid. And she had a hard time sleeping for the first few nights after this. She, even though there's no dogs in our house, her fear was that a dog was going to get her again. So her experience with the dog is not my experience. So if, when she tells me she's afraid, if I say to her, well, Reese, 99% of all the dogs aren't evil. 99% of the dogs aren't going to bite you. You need to get over that fear. That doesn't help her in that moment. Um, if I tell her you're being ridiculous because you are now scared of every dog, um, then that doesn't help her fear. What helped her fear is I let her hold on to my arm and I told her, Reese, I'll protect you. Mm. Sorry, uh, thinking about my daughter. Um, <laughs> what what helped her eventually overcome her fear to where she still has that fear? The fear still exists, but she no longer grips my arm when she hears a dog bite because I've been able to walk her through this and show her there are some there are some dogs that you got to be careful of, and there's some dogs that are great. We're not going to generalize and be afraid of all dogs, but but in order to get her there, I had to lead with empathy. Um, I had to lead with, with, with love and, and protection. And where I feel like the breakdown happens in our country is that when someone says, this is my experience, the other side comes and says, well, let me tell you some stats. Let me throw this at you. And, um, you know, I, what I see in the, in the white community a lot is that when my chocolate brothers and sisters say, 
um, this is our experience with with the police. The response is not empathy. The response is, well, blacks need to stop killing blacks. And right. okay, that may be true, but that doesn't help this situation. Right. 99% of dogs may not bite my daughter, but one did. So her experience is that, and the only way I can help her is empathy. And so I think what I've been trying to do, getting back to your question, Jason, is in the conversations that I've been having with my white friends, is I've been trying to say what we need to do is lead with empathy and stop trying to lead with stats and stop trying to dismiss someone else's experience. You don't have to agree with their experience. You, we need to understand it. Um, and so that's that's been my conversation with 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 my white friends, um, you know, with with um, my chocolate friends. It's more of just saying, hey, I just I, I want to listen. Um, cause it, it is a scary thing, which I greatly appreciate you, you having this conversation on your podcast. Um, most people I know don't want to offend someone. And this right. is such a heated topic that even bringing it up, you just see the passion and the anger and, and you see frustration. And so it leads good people who want to do something. Their fear is, well, I don't want to offend them. So they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I, I think what is better is to say, hey, listen, I'm going to mess this up. As a white person, I'm going to mess this up. But I want you to know that I'm going to mess it up, um, and I'm just going to still love you. I'm not messing this up intentionally. I'm messing this up because I care about you. And when you have a relationship with someone, they can see that. When you don't have a relationship with someone, um, it, it's just easy to break down and, and, to, uh, and, and to not build a bridge towards the other side. That is so okay. So you totally had me teared up over the over the story for your daughter because it's it's so true that if we can sometimes take people out of the thing that they are fighting over so that they can hear it in a non-combative way, it's amazing how it can bring somebody into that moment of understanding. I just had an exchange with someone who I care very deeply about, who made a comment inside of a very public professional space that put people on their heels. She, I consider to be one of my vanilla sisters. And um, we have a professional relationship, but that professional relationship has moved into a very personal one also in a very short period of time. But the comment that she made was speaking out of her fears that all of a sudden, basically, that um, people of color are after her, you know, that they're going to harm her, that she's not welcome in certain environments, that so much so that she felt that she needed to purchase a firearm to protect herself mm. because of what she's being fed, right? So when I saw her response, because she shared it in a, or in a, you know, because everything's being done virtually right now, it was in a chat. When I saw her response, I decided that I needed to reach out to her personally, because what I hear when I see something like that is I'm not okay. Now, I don't know how not okay you are, but if I care about you, I need to find out what's going on. Right. And inside of that conversation, which got heated, I will admit to you, because she got caught on a statement. She said to me, if I were out and you were out and some person of color walked up to me and said, you white so-and-so-and-so and blah, 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 um, and your white privilege, because that was something she really has issue with, your white privilege, stupid da 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 what would you say? And I said, well, first of all, I would naturally defend you. But I would be very clear about the fact that she's using 
or white privilege on behalf of our community. So you need to back up was what my statement was. And so then she got upset because I was acknowledging the white privilege as valid. And so her immediate response was, well, you're part of the problem then if you're going to perpetuate this this falsehood that there's any such thing as white privilege, there's no such thing, and only a racist would believe that. So she went to her hurt mm. instantly. And so, and she said in full terms that for you to say that I have white privilege is the same thing as calling is the same thing for me as if I called you an N and then she said the whole word. Mm. And (laughs) I, I had to pause. I had to pause and I had to ask myself, what is the greater mission inside of this moment? Because the mission has to be greater than the moment. And as Christians in particular, while this is not a religious show, right. I make no bones about the fact that I am a Jesus freak. Yeah, we I love, love Jesus. the Lord. We love him. Okay. So like, I'm not apologizing about that at all. So I had to think about the fact that what's going to be bigger for you in this moment, Al, is your, is your skin going to be bigger for you or your faith? Which one do you want to be bigger in this moment? And I chose Jesus. So my response back to her was that <laughs> so childish. But my response back to her was this, very similar to what Rob was saying. When you take somebody out of the moment into something they can relate to, I said to her, and we'll call her Susan. I said, Susan, I'm going to be very honest with you inside of this moment. And I got very passionate because there's a point for me that is what we're not going to do point, right? So when I get to the what we're not going to do point, my kids call it my cobra. Like I get very serious because I intend to strike, but I don't intend to strike you. I intend to strike the spirit or the issue, but I will not destroy the person inside of the process. So I said to her that, I can make six figures, and I don't say this disrespectfully to anybody who's struggling right now, but I can make six figures in my sleep. And making six figures in my sleep means that I have economic privilege in America. Because of my economic privilege, I have two homeless teenagers living with me right now. Because my responsibility when I have economic privilege is to help those who don't have it. You happen to be you know, very tall, you look like a Barbie, you know, like you have aesthetic privilege in America. There are certain places that you will go that if a chubby freckled white girl walks up behind you, the door will get slammed in her face, but some guy will fall over himself opening the door for you because of aesthetic privilege. We are in America that was founded on Christian values, which means that if we talk about Jesus, even though people might not believe, they will be dismissive of us. But if we were Muslims inside of America and we started talking about Allah, people would actually respond quite differently than just being slightly dismissive because of our religious privilege in America. When your CEO goes wherever he goes, he's going to make 100% of the dollar. No matter how hard you or I work, 
we are likely in America to make somewhere around 70% on that dollar because he has gender privilege. Mm. So let's not be confused about the fact that there are multiple privileges that exist. It's just that in this scenario, the privilege was on a skin level. But just because it's on a skin level, in no way is that to be a racist issue, for that to be a reason for polarization, for that to be a reason of to demonize an individual. But to not acknowledge our privilege is to choose to be complicit in the sin. And as Christians, we are not allowed to do that because she too professes to be a Christian. And I don't say that to question it. I'm just saying that that is her profession. So that began to be being able to talk about it in a space where I recognize my privilege and I have multiple privileges and I recognize the places where somebody else may have different privileges than I do and the, and common privileges that we share made it possible for us to de-escalate the moment so that understanding became the goal inside of the conversation only to discover, Rob, that part of the reason that she was having the fears that she was having is because whatever the algorithms are that allow for certain things to come through our feeds on social media, what she was seeing on her social media feeds were filled with debunk debunked newspapers, debunked articles, debunked statistics. Something was happening inside of her feed that story after story was completely opposite to the actual story when you go to a reliable news source to be able to look that up. The data was so perverted. So she was responding out of what it was that she was being fed. And if I were seeing that every day, I'd probably respond the same way. But we would have never got to that place where I literally, by the time we were finished the conversation, she's showing me screenshots of what was on her, what was on her feed. And I sent her back screenshots that were on mine. And she had never seen any of these things before. And I'd never seen what she had seen. And then I had to go research them and could send her all of the real information. And she was like, you know what, Al? I almost became a racist by virtue of what it was that was in my diet. Mm. And I said to her, like I said, Susan, there's a reason the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that whatever we take into our gates, our eye gates, or our ear gates, that becomes the abundance of our heart. And out of the abundance of our heart is what the mouth speaks. So if we're not careful what we're taking in, if we are not consistent about making sure that we are choosing a diet that is balanced, that is about understanding, even when the understanding may be ugly, we will never get to a point that we can find community one with another because Satan will be effective in his ability to divide because of what it is that we've internalized that has changed the Constitution and hardened our hearts. So I so appreciate, Rob, what it was that you did and said inside of that moment to help people see themselves in it in a place where they don't have to defend, but rather they can attempt to understand. Listen, uh, I, go ahead, Rob. Well, I, I just want to say I, I loved your perspective, and I loved the a, a massive thing that I took away that I think is so important is that that conversation that you had um, with Susan. Um, <laughs> we'll call her Susan. <laughs> we'll call her Susan, yeah. That conversation that you had 
you were able to have it because you were face to face and because there was a relationship mm-hmm. and the a way to get on the other side of this and to build bridges is we have to be intentional <laughs> with listening to and trending people that have different um, opinions and different backgrounds. Um, and and I'll, I, it just made me think of when you were sharing that, that, you know, about five years ago, when, when a chocolate person was killed by the police, predominantly my news feed was, Let's wait to see what happened. He must have done something in order to to have that happen to him. That's just the the right. response that was coming universally. Right. Um, what started to change is that I had multiple friends on Facebook that were chocolate brothers and sisters, and they were sharing their perspective. And I was like, wow, this, this doesn't match the narrative that I've been seeing right. all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And so it led me to make a phone call to uh, a friend and just say, Hey, like, I, I don't know what to say. And I hope this is not awkward, but I just, I hear you and your perspective is very different. Can you share with me? And we were able to have, have a conversation. Um, I think that the issue that white America has is that so many white Americans say I'm not racist. And then therefore everything shuts down. But the problem is, is that it's not enough to not be racist. We have to be anti racist. In order to be anti-racist, mm-hmm. we have to extend our hand to the other side and say, it's not enough just that I know a black person. It's not enough that I, uh, you know, I work with a black person. No, it, it, you have to go to say, I need to be in relationship with someone right. that is different than me so that I can hear and have empathy to their side of the story. And so when something comes up, um, white America so often says, well, I'm not racist. Like that doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. Okay. You may not think that you're racist, but are you anti-racist? Are, are you doing something to help build the bridge, to help show empathy to the other side, to help fight for our brothers and sisters who, who, who are struggling? And so I appreciated what you shared. Um, that, I, I thought that was great insight. This we, is such an incredible conversation. You were going to say something, Huck. I'm sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. See, again, both of you. See, Rob, I think you and Alvin are brothers and sisters because you always <laughs> do these very impactful moments. And I'm, I'm looking at, you know, we, we we pretty much butted against our time. We I know we're gonna have to right. come back and do a part two of this. Um, we will have to. This I, is too important a conversation. I, I, and right before you wrap, Alvin, two things real quick. Um, you said something about her being so fearful now she want to go get a gun. If you didn't have a gun before all this started, don't get one because you're scared. And when you're scared, you do silly stuff. Number two, absolutely. We talking about how can we heal? If you didn't vote back in May, then you're part of the problem. You, you go out here, you protest, do all your stuff, but go be part of a civic uh, uh, community. When it's time to vote again, make sure you exercise your right to vote so you can have a seat at the table. Those are my two takeaways from how can we help and we heal. Uh, I toss it back over to you, Alvin, for the last word. Absolutely. And to that point, I want to be clear about something else, because doing what's right is not a political thing. So when we say go vote, we're talking about choose people that you believe represent the kind of values and the decision making that you would like to see in terms of justice to both protect those who are in harm's way and to protect those who are trying to ensure the covering and protection of our people. There are multiple things that have to be thought about when we go into the voting booth. So this is not about D versus R's. This is not blue versus red. This is none of those things. It's not an anti this or anti that, but it is anti-racism. 
And if that's what it is that we are committed to, then it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on. It doesn't matter what culture. It doesn't matter what generation. It matters that you are a person of character and morality and ethics. And whoever that is, wherever you come from, you are the people that we want leading our nation because you are the people who will take care of those who have entrusted you with the responsibility and the honor and privilege to lead us. So thank you for another incredible time inside of the Lion's Den. Join us again next week and we'll work on part two for you as we continue to talk about how do we heal race and religion in America. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You, the listeners, are always our inspiration. If you'd like to join the conversation or submit a show idea, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with Albion at albionlions.com or on Instagram at albion.lions. Join us again next week. Same time, same station, same great conversation. We'll see you soon.